right, good morning. It's good to see you all today. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. While you're turning there, a couple of things uh, by the way of announcement. Uh, we had a great men's breakfast today, and that is something that um, several of the men get together. Oh, it's two Sunday mornings a month, and they cook breakfast, and uh, Jerry Thomason leads us in a, a devotional, and he had a great word for us as uh, encouragement as, as Christian men today, and uh, we're just now kicking that back off, so we've been off of that for about a year and that's at 7.30, what, I get there at 7.50, but it's at, what, 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 7.30, and what Sundays is that, Jerry? Second and fourth Sunday, so I want to invite the men to come out to that, great time. Wednesday nights, we have services here, we have Awana uh, for all ages of kids, we have a youth program, they meet across the road, we have a meal at 5.30, uh, uh, everybody's welcome to come to that. On Wednesday nights, starting this week, uh, we have a new class meeting over for adults uh, in the Family Life Center on uh, marriage. Brandon and Liz Cohn are leading that, and so that's starting this week, looking at, at power couples in the Bible, right, and principles of marriage uh, as Christians. And then over here, uh, we also have another class. Uh, it's our prayer meeting, and uh, we'll be studying loosely through the book of Ecclesiastes, so one of the more interesting uh, books, thought-provoking uh, in the Old Testament. So a lot of things going on. I want to invite you to be a part of the larger uh, church fellowship beyond Sunday mornings. One last thing, uh, Annie Armstrong Easter offering, that's our North American missions offering. We're collecting that uh, all this month and probably into the first Sunday, so we don't shortchange it. I started late. We'll be taking up next Sunday. will be the last Sunday to give to that. There should be little envelopes available. I don't know. Is there any in the pews there that say Andy Armstrong? Okay, they're in the, in the basket back in the foyer. If you want to give to North American Missions, uh, you can use those. We have a little black box sitting on that uh, uh, counter out there. That's for... Designated offerings, regular offerings, that's for visitor's card, prayer cards, whatever you want to get to the church office, put it in there. How about that? If you give it to me or John, you're taking your chances. All right? So that's, that's that little box. Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 37 through 47. I had to call an audible this morning and, and split what I thought was going to be one sermon. Now it's going to be two Rest assured, not two this morning. You're just going to get one today, and I'm going to split this, so it's got me a little bit uh, bum-fuzzled. I, had a, <laughs> I was up to four points yesterday, and someone told me, that's getting a little long. And then I added a point, so we're at five, so I better split it. And we're going to think about being saved and the basic realities of biblical Christianity or the very beginnings of biblical Christianity. Now, I'm going to make a couple of controversial statements right now that need to be said. And uh, I hope they're not too controversial here in the church. But they are controversial in the broader culture. Every spiritual or religious path does not lead to heaven. Every spiritual or religious path does not lead to becoming a Christian. There are many paths. Jesus said, narrow is the path that leads to life. And wide is the path 
that leads to destruction. So Jesus says not every path leads to heaven, to eternal life. In fact, many, many, the wide path, all kinds of religions, experiences, spiritualities that lead, Jesus says, to destruction. Narrow is the way. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. That's controversial in the bigger culture. Preaching, singing, steeples, religious talk, vague spirituality doesn't make a thing a Christian. It, it just doesn't. Being a Christian and being a Christian New Testament biblical church, those are very specific things. In other words, not everything is those things, and those things are not everything else. So, so we need to talk about specificity. So what is a Christian? And what is a Christian church? That's really the gist of what I want us to see these two weeks. What is a Christian? And what is a Christian church? All right, so I brought my little prop here today. Anybody know what this poor little thing is? Huh? It's a, it's a tomato plant. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint. Yes. I have better ones that I got from Ron Kirsch. This is one I grew. And don't be hating on this thing, all right? It serves a purpose here today. That's a tomato plant. It's something very specific. What's the scientific name? Solanum um, lycopersicum. Originated in Peru. It's a very specific plant. It grows specific types of fruit. Not everything in the garden or in the world that is green is a tomato plant, and the tomato plant is not everything that grows. It's a very specific thing. Is this a fruit or a vegetable plant? Yes, John says yes. So the Tariff Act in uh, 1883 by the Supreme Court... The Supreme Court ruled that the tomato, for trade purposes, is a vegetable. Botanically speaking, it is a fruit-producing plant, so it's, we could say, a little bit of both. And I'll tell you, what do you think? Someone give me a descriptor of the kind of fruit this thing's going to set. Huh? Oh, you're wrong right off the bat. It's not even going to be red. This is going to be an orange one. Uh, here's the amazing thing. There are, there are all kinds of tomato varieties and kinds and types. I read over 15,000. So there's a striking array, and I grow 14,999 in my garden. I want to try them all. No, I don't really do that. But I, I love the variety. And uh, I bring stuff from tomato plants that people go, what is that? <laughs> kind of like my little plant. I say, it's a tomato, but it's, it's green. But it's really weird shaped, but it's a ripe tomato. Or this one's going to have an orange one. This year, oh, I'm so excited. I've got some called Sunrise Bumblebee. Pink Bumblebees. I've got all different sizes, shapes, acidity types, and, and, you know, determinate plants, indeterminate determinate plants, indeterminate plants, all kinds of things. But here's the deal. I didn't come here to talk about tomatoes, though I'm doing a lot of it. 
This week in the headlines in the news that I was reading, I read about a famous person, an actress, who was doing two major things, renouncing gender conformity and renouncing traditional or biblical sexual norms and also announcing that she was growing in her walk with God been going to church and was growing in her walk with God. I was struggling with that one. I was struggling with that one. And I want to recognize that, you know, you can, be, you can be moving towards God and still be pretty confused about some things. And we all have sin in our life. But those two things seem to me to be contrary to incompatible. They didn't seem to me to be going together, to be saying, I'm moving in my understanding of who I am as a created being, created by God for a specific purpose, with a specific gender, specific sexuality, and things that are outlined in the Bible. I'm going this way, but I'm growing in my relationship with God who says that, no, it's going this way. So I was a little bit messed up about that, you know, because this person's two announcements and things that they were embracing were really not compatible, but they were contrary to one another. And I'm just going, that tomato is not a cucumber. It's not going to produce cucumbers. It's not going to produce okra. It's not a banana. They're different things, different seeds, different growth habits, different fruit or vegetable, <laughs> All right, different things. So we're thinking about what is a Christian and what is biblical Christianity in the New Testament church, and what is it not? And I suppose my goal today and and the next week is I want everyone here, my, my hope and my prayer is that you would measure your life and your experience, okay, by the Bible, by the Bible's description of biblical Christianity, Specifically, we're going to see a phrase throughout the passage that we're examining. It's going to talk about being saved. And I would just ask you to measure, have you been saved according to the Bible's testimony? What what the Bible describes as being saved. If you're not, my hope is that these passages, this passage that we'll look at over two weeks, will, will provide clarity for you so that you might trust Christ, be saved, and be on the right path growing in your relationship with God, that you would experience biblical Christianity. That's my hope. That's my prayer, and I hope this is clear. One reason I wanted to go ahead and split this out into two weeks so it didn't just feel like I had to cram it all here into today. And I hope that this message would expose some of the counterfeit Christianity that's out there. Things saying this is the Christian life or this is what it means to follow Christ that seem to clearly go against the Bible's testimony. And uh, I think what we need to do is just say this. Don't take my word for it. Let's go to the Bible. Back to Acts chapter 2 where it all began with the church Really, we've been looking for the last couple of months about the historical realities of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his rule and reign in heaven. And we've been talking about these are 
historical facts and things that actually happen in a real place, in a real time, to real people. And they have cosmic, eternal significance. And then somehow we seem to then disassociate that real historical stuff from our own lives. And what I would say is being saved and being a Christian is a real thing that happens to real people in real places in real time. It's a historical happening when you're saved and when you become a Christian. And the things that you do in your life right now matter for all of eternity. So we're going to go back to Acts chapter 2 here at the sermon of the day of Pentecost when, if you will, the Christian movement kind of goes public. It goes on public offering. And we're going to see what Jesus handpicked personally trained, spirit-empowered witnesses said it takes to be saved. What it means to be saved. What it means to be a Christian. And, and Peter, specifically in his sermon here, and his dealing with people who are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit as they've heard the gospel, he's going to say, this is how you become a Christian. This is what you do. And he called them to do it, and 3,000 of them did it. So let's read now Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. So we're thinking about being saved, the beginnings of Christianity, the basic realities of biblical Christianity, Acts 2, 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. I need to stop right there and just say this because it's not in my notes and I'm going to forget. This is a pivotal phrase here. Peter says, what I am telling you right now, in the midst of this massive historical thing going on right here, this is not just for you. It's for you, but it's also for your children. And the people to come. And the people who are far off. So he doesn't make a claim that this is a one-time thing that he's talking about, this salvation. He's saying this is for everybody that's far away and those who are to come. Verse 40. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The first thing I want you to notice, biblical Christianity begins with an experience of conviction upon hearing the gospel. There is a conviction, a personal conviction upon hearing the gospel message. Look at verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. When they heard what? What is this that they heard? Well, if you back up a little bit, it's the message 
that the Holy Spirit inspires Peter to preach. And basically, he lays out what has happened to Jesus. His life, his coming, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his rule. And he explains, you know, something's going on here at Pentecost. There's this speaking of tongues, and there's these flames of fire, and there's this massive wind, and there's this big ruckus is what we call it in Marshall. It's a ruckus. And there's a ruckus going on, and people are hearing the gospel and the mighty acts of God proclaimed, and these people are speaking, but it's, and, and, and they're Galileans, but they're hearing it in all kinds of languages. And Peter explains to them, this is the promise of Joel, and it's the promise of Jesus, that Jesus, when he ascended, would pour out his Holy Spirit. And now he's given gifts to sons and daughters. He's poured out his Holy Spirit. So Peter's explaining what's going on that day. And then he explains this, that this Jesus, this Jesus, that, that just ascended into heaven ten days before, God has made him Lord and Christ. He is the cosmic ruler of all ages, of all people, of all tongues. He is God's representative whom God says every knee must bow. He is the one who is the only way to the Father to have our lives made right. And so in short, this, when they heard this, the this is, Peter is explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ very clearly. Historic present facts, spiritual realities that demand a response. And the Bible says that how can someone be saved unless they hear the gospel message? And how are they going to hear it without a preacher? And how are they going to be a preacher unless the church sends them? So in other words, it's just a witness. It's someone telling the actual historic gospel. And they are convicted. They're pierced to the heart. What they come to understand is that they have been in personal opposition to God Almighty. That's what they come to understand. And I tell you, the gospel puts us there. When we understand the sin that put Jesus on the cross is our sin, we realize that sin puts us in rebellion and opposition to God. And it brings up this idea of being saved. They're pierced to the heart. What must we do? I think there's a little bit of panic as they realize that they have set their faces against Almighty God. It's like, what, what do we need to do? We need rescued. Help us. Help us. You see, that's what being saved is. Saved is deliverance from a precarious situation where we are in need of rescue. They're crying out. They're pierced to the heart. They know that they need to get things right with God. And I love you get the sense of that when they said, what shall we do? What shall we do? They asked that question. And so there is this personal conviction that, man, I'm, I'm not right with God. What do I need to do about that? What has been done to bring me back to God? That brings us to the second thing we see. We see personal conversion in response to God's grace, and that's in verses 38 through 40, a personal conversion in response to God's grace. What shall we do? And Peter doesn't say, ah, don't worry about it. That's not what he says. Ah, oh, shucks, you're pretty good old boys. Put a little money in the offering plate, and you'll be all right. That's not what he says. He says, repent. First of all, Repent. And I was thinking about that word, how often I fly from this command of Peter to repent. 
And I go, well, that means turning from your sin. It does mean that generally. It's, it's an about face. It's a change of mind. It's going the other direction. And what I realized in studying this is that Peter says to them earlier in this sermon, this, this Jesus that was crucified, you killed him. <laughs> I think it's in verse 23. He says, you, you actually had a hand in putting Jesus, the Son of Glory, on the cross. And, and so I think in the sermon, Peter's idea of repentance is, you need to change your mind about Jesus, who you are clamoring to have killed. And you need to realize who he is. You need to realize that. You need to turn. And again, I, I said earlier that, that we're in opposition to God in our sin. Sin is ultimately this. It's rebellion against God. That's what it is. It's saying, God, I don't want you ruling my life. I'll do it. It's my life. I'll do it my way. That's opposition to God. When Jesus came, the landowner's son, Jesus told this parable, the landowner's son comes and he says, you know, if I send my son, surely the people will listen to him. And it says the people who had, were tenants of the vineyard, instead of listening, they killed him. So, so this opposition to God in this day and in this sermon, this was really people that were shaking their fists and crying for Jesus to be crucified. And so I don't think we have to repent of that sin because we weren't there at the cross. But think about this. We have stood in opposition to God. We've rejected his overtures to leadership of our life. We've said, no, I'll do it my way. No, I prefer this way. And over and over again in our lost condition, we reject God's grace and his wanting to come to us so we don't think of ourselves as crucifying Jesus but in effect we have done the same type of thing we've shaked our fist in the face of God and Peter says this you know receive this word of salvation be saved from this perverse generation and I said that in this we see a conversion a conversion is a changeover it's just changing from one thing to the next so repentance is a good picture of that. It's turning. But it's a new identity. It's a new identity. He says, be saved from this perverse generation. Come out from the world. Come out from the crowd that's on the wide path. Be saved. This world, in opposition and rebellion to God, is on the path that Jesus said is the wide path, and it leads to eternal destruction. Jesus says, leave that and come over to the narrow path be saved. That's what he says. Receive this word. And I think that the amazing thing is, you know, Peter's all, he's probably caught up in the moment. Thankfully, he's being led by the Holy Spirit because if he wasn't, I imagine he'd puff out his chest and he'd point his fingers like guns. He'd say, all of you people who wanted to kill Jesus. That's what I would have done in the flesh. Your enemies. But they're saying, what, what must we do? And he says, repent, turn, come into the family. To the very people who wanted Jesus to die. He said, Jesus actually died for you to make a way for you. This is God's amazing grace, his invitation. All who are sinners, come to me. All who are weary and heavy labor. You know, when you do things your own way, when you live life, when you do you, I don't like that phrase. <laughs> you do you. I tell you, you do you is part of the wide path. When you do that, I'll tell you where it leads. It leads to destruction, not only eternally, 
But sin is only pleasurable for a season. And then it begins to destroy your soul and your body and your relationships. And we get heavy laden and weary and bogged down. And we realize that we're on the wrong path. And the crazy thing is that we don't get off of that path when we hear Jesus saying, come to me. We don't respond to God's grace. But he's saying, I'm inviting you to respond to God's amazing grace. You who are enemies of Jesus, come and become family. Become part of the family. That's amazing. That's why we have a song called Amazing Grace. Because the grace of God is, it's, it's really unbelievable. That God loves us so much. That in spite of anything we have done, when we turn to him, he's willing to bring us in, to accept us into the family. And so Peter says, repent. He says, be baptized. We're about to get to that. And receive this same gift of the Holy Spirit. Not not only does God not hold your sins against you, he brings you and welcomes you into the family and he bestows gifts. He pours out his spirit upon you. He's a giver of gifts to those who formerly hated him, but now by God's grace, repent and come to him as a father. So there is this call to a personal conversion. So listen to this, conviction of our sin, understanding that the gospel says we've all sinned. Jesus died for our sins, invites us to come in by his grace. He invites us to be part of the family. We're invited to have a personal conversion. And let me just say this, a a word that some, uh, you know, Baptists don't like, like, it's an experience. It's an experience of conviction that leads to conversion, a brand new life. You know, we don't, sin is not a very popular subject these days, and so you don't hear about it preached very much. And I'm afraid that more preaching today is, is kind of like psychotherapy. It's like sweeping a mess under the rug or something like that and just kind of bury it under good, happy thoughts and, and stuff like that. We've got a hallmark version of the gospel. <laughs> and when I look at what's going on here and I see these people pierced to the heart, I see a person who has understood, maybe not everything, but they've understood the gospel clearly and understood their need for a Savior. I, yeah, I got time for this one little thing. I was at a I was at a uh, water park one time with my family, and I got in the wave pool. I thought I you know, I sure didn't want my mommy around. You know, I ditched my parents, and I was off in the wave pool, and I was going out deeper and deeper, but there weren't any waves. Silly me, I don't know what I thought was going to happen. I just wanted to go out in the deep end. You would have thought the name wave pool would have been an indication of what was about to happen. But I get out in the deep end, and all of a sudden there's this buzzer. I'm like, what's the, is there a ball game going on? And the waves, they start rolling in. I'm a pretty good swimmer, I thought. And I'm going to tell you, I mean, I was riding the waves. I was like, yeah, big kahuna. And I'm riding the waves, and all of a sudden, it's kind of like something happened, and one shifted and crashed over me. And got me under. And I came back up. And as soon as I came up, another one hit me. My timing was all off. And I just could not. And I'm swallowing water. And I'm like a middle school-ish age guy. And I'm like, mm. either I scream for help or die. 
I'm, I, I was thinking about choosing death because, you know, like no, no teenage boy wants to scream for help. And so the way, and I'm serious. I, I was getting scared at this point. Like I'm taking on, I'm, I gained 20 pounds of water weight, and I'm doing all this, and the waves are coming, and, and I drift over to the side, and thankfully there's lifeguards at these places. 18-year-old boy lifeguard, guess what he's doing over here at the side at a water park? Yeah, he's surrounded by girls. <laughs> and I'm serious, it gets just downright st- stupid, ugly. I'm going, help! Help! <laughs> I mean, by this, I'm like screaming like a girl. And I'm up here, and I'm trying to get, and, and he's over here, you know, it's kind of like, did I hear something? No. And he's going back to the girls. <laughs> I was like, if I live, you're not going to, dude. And, and, and I just, I'm, to get, I'm, I'm trying to get over to the side where he'll help. Hear me, help! And I go over it, man. I'm seriously, I thought I was going to die. And I might have, but I finally got to the side. Then I get the ladder, I'm like, thank you. I get halfway up the ladder and a wave sucks me back down. And this goes on, and the dude never did help me. Thanks, I got it on my own. Self-rescue. Man. You know, at some point you realize... You are in trouble. And at some point in that wave pool, I realize I'm in trouble. I need to cry out for help. i got to have help. I'll tell you who rescued me. God rescued me. At some point, I gave up on the lifeguard, and I'm screaming out to God. And I think that maybe there's a lot of folks in church today who have just never realized hey, you're in trouble. Apart from Christ, you are in trouble. Eternally. The very phrase being saved means you are in need of rescue. You are going to die. And I think that these people in Acts 2, they're like, we're in trouble. What do we need to do? He says, you've got to come out of the wave pool. You've you got to get out of there. And that's this bit about repentance and receiving God's help and His grace. Finally, there's this decisive and clear identification with Jesus through baptism and coming into the church. That's in verses 40 and 41. You know, baptism is, in the Bible, so closely tied with a person's salvation experience. Now, I'm talking about the New Testament. I'm not talking about what you see and hear out there. Just saying, when you read it in the New Testament, when people get saved, baptism, baptism, it is so closely tied. Even here, Peter says, "Repent, and each of you be baptized." I mean, it's almost like it's almost like that's part of being saved. In fact, it's so closely tied in the Bible that it has led some people to believe that you have to be baptized to be saved. In other words, it's part of the saving process. I don't think that's true. I think that if you take the New Testament evidence in all of its entirety, that you can't sustain that argument. But what you can say is baptism, which is an outward act that's public, it is an identification of your life with Christ. Going down into the waters of death, just like Jesus went down into the grave, and coming up to new life, just like Jesus was being resurrected, it is part of the spiritual journey.
and being saved. Now, it doesn't save you. But listen, folks, Jesus commanded it. It's right here. Peter said, when they said, what must we do? I'll tell you what, I would have done darn near anything in that wave pool. Because I understood my situation. And so here we see this idea of being saved played out like this. Personal conviction because of our sins, realizing we're in trouble. We see this, that there is a call to a personal conversion, a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of life that, makes, that accepts that Jesus is Lord. Okay? That God has made him Lord, and I need to order my life under him. And then there is a clear identification with Jesus, marked by baptism and coming into the church. So that's what we see called for right here. Jesus commanded us, come out from the world. Be saved from the perverse generation. We've got a lot of folks in the church today that want to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. That's not what's called for here. It says, come out, be saved. I think if ever there was a day where that was an apt description of what the world is like, a perverse generation. I remember I would hear that descriptor of the world many times in the past. I go, the world's not that bad. There's some good people. There's some good stuff out there. Well, number one, we need to understand what it's talking about by the world. But I'll tell you this. More and more, we're seeing the depths of the depravity and the darkness of the human heart in a so-called educated and enlightened and progressive day. Jesus has come out. And choose you this day who you will serve. Identify with Jesus or identify with the world. That's it. And I'll tell you, baptism, one of the reasons it's so important, because it brings us up to the point where it's like, are, are you in or are you out? Do you belong to Jesus or do you not? Jesus says, you know, anybody who's ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of him before the Father. So, conviction of sin, there's a conversion of the soul, and there is an outward, clear identification with Jesus through baptism and coming into the church. And this is what we're going to look at next week. My poor little tomato plant here. Y'all have been looking at this thing with pity the whole sermon, haven't you? Next week, we're going to look at what's described here as the fellowship. I want you to look in our last verse for today in verse 40. I'm sorry, 41. So then, those who received his word, okay, so there were those that said, all right, I'll do that. I want to be saved. Those who received his word were baptized that day, and there were added about 3,000 souls. There were 3,000 souls that day. I, I suspect there's probably thousands that walked away and said, nah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe some came later. I don't know. 3,000 that day. It says, look at, look at what it says. We're added that day. What were they added to? Here's a chance for you to talk back. What were they added to? Huh? They were added to the book of life. I think in this context it's saying they were added to the church. It was 120 before that. They were added to the church, the fellowship. Listen to this, folks. When God saves you, 
He doesn't intend for you to be this. He might want to make you a fruit-producing, tomato-ish Christian, something that does good, grows good, produces fruit. In fact, we know that's true. But one of the reasons this little tomato is so sickly-looking is because it's been sitting out here in isolation in my basement. Can you all see the roots of this thing? Man, this, this little tomato wants to put out roots into something. It wants to grow. And if it'll ever dry up and warm up, this thing will be put in a garden that is tended and cultivated by a gardener. And then it will spread out its roots and grow among the other 14,998 varieties of tomatoes in my garden. And it's going to produce fruit. But I'll tell you, this thing will never achieve its purpose of bearing fruit out like this. And so biblical Christianity begins like this, begins personal with conviction at the gospel, a hearing of the gospel, a weighing of things, a conversion of the soul, an outward clear identification, and a coming into the church, being added to the church. That's what happened there. The church, folks, is a carefully tended garden with other like-minded people. That's God's intent. So next week, by God's grace, we'll look at the rest of this passage and think about the beauty of God's garden, which is the church fellowship. But today, as we close up, I want to invite you. I need to give an invitation you know, I, I wish invitations in churches today were more like they were in the Bible, like that. See, the invitation there was the people stood up and said, what do we do? The invitation here is always, hey, do something. But that's all right. I don't mind. I don't mind leading the dance. So I would just say to you, you need to do something. I ask you at the beginning of the message, would you measure your experience by the Bible? not by pop culture. So my question is, where are you in that journey? Are you a biblical Christian? So a couple of ways you could respond today. Number one, you could say, I'm not. I've, I've, I've just never responded to the gospel, the good news, the invitation, that Jesus died for my sins. Peter told them, he said, you can be forgiven of your sins right here today. Forgiven of all of that. All of the weight of the past can be taken away in a moment at the foot of the cross. Be forgiven of your sins. But you have to admit that you have them first. So, we're convicted. Then there's the conversion. Conversion is saying, I'm, I, I want to give my life to Christ. I believe that message. And I'm going to invite you today, in this hour, in this place, in this time, in history, on this calendar date, to come and identify with Christ. If in your pew today and in your heart you have believed on Him. Because that's the next step is to identify with Christ. And we'll make plans, if you haven't already, to be baptized. Biblically baptized. That's what Jesus commanded. It's your public identification saying, I've been saved. I've been born again. I'm trusting Jesus. So that's one, two, three. Number four. This is what we'll look at next week, but you could do it today. If you're here today and you say, I've been saved, 
I've been baptized, but I'm kind of like that tomato plant. I'm out alone. I'm not a part of a Christian fellowship. I want to invite you today to come. And let me talk to you about being a part of this fellowship. This fellowship. So that's the invitation today. Would you bow with me? Every person here praying, would you do business with the Lord? Would you pray for others? If you're here today and you need to respond to this message about being saved and being a biblical Christian, we're going to have this time of response. I'm just going to invite you to come and join me here at the altar. And let me pray with you. Let me speak with you and set up a time to talk more about these things. Father, today I thank you for your grace that rescues us. The blood of Jesus which covers our sins and offers forgiveness. And I pray that you would pierce hearts today, bring life today, bring hope today, bring encouragement today. to every person here and speak to their point in the journey and encourage them along the way. Pray that you would work in our midst this day and the days forward. Thank you for your grace and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As John comes and prepares to do our uh, announcements and our birthday and anniversary celebration, uh, let me just say this. I've said a lot, I know. Peter, uh, Peter's sermon is partially recorded in that passage, but not all of it was. It says, with many other words, he encouraged them. If you're here today and, and God is working in your heart about one of these steps that we talked about, but you didn't come forward today, I'd just as soon talk to you after the service. But if you would like to talk and visit more about any of these things, would you just see me today? Um, in the bulletin, I think my, my cell phone number is in there, my email is in there. You're free to call me at any time. Love to set up an appointment, time for coffee, lunch, something like that. You can come here to the church. Love to talk with you more about these things. All right, so John, you come and wrap us up. A uh, few more uh, announcements. I know Brother Sean already touched on a, uh, a few of them. Uh, just a couple things. Uh, first of all, this coming Wednesday night for Awana is shop night. We are looking to uh, have our Grand Prix races uh, they were supposed to be back in December, but we shifted and moved um, and uh, gave a little bit more time. And so this coming Wednesday night is shop night. So if you've got uh, some drills, parents, if you've got some drills, Bill put some holes in there and weights, and we've got uh, some different weights that we've purchased to be able to do that. So everything will be set up if you want to start at 6. So uh, looking forward to having that. We we were able to purchase our own track this year with a timing system and a computer. We're so excited. I usually have to drive about an hour or so to borrow one from another church, but we were able to get one uh, this last year, and hopefully it will interface with the computer and work wonderfully and uh, and be able to, to do that this year. So uh, 
uh, kids, we're looking to do that. We should have a youth division as well, and uh, youth, we will talk about that on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, also, uh, just a few more things. Uh, we do have a baby shower today for uh, baby boy Crunkleton. Uh, we have two babies born and one to go, and uh, Miss Haven Sue was born this last week, and uh, they uh, were able to go home Wednesday, and uh, so uh, baby baby C, I think, and so that's at 1.30 today at the FLC, and uh, looking forward to that. Also in the bulletin, you see a few things about the children's ministry, needing a couple more volunteers in children's church and a couple more volunteers in pre-K uh, Sunday school. Uh, we're looking forward to getting that back up and uh, running as well. And then uh, next Sunday, uh, 2 o'clock, the church ATV ride. And uh, you can ride, you can eat, you can ride and eat, but don't ride and eat at the same time. That's not, you know, can you do, you can't ride and eat at the same time. That's not road safety, is it? Is there rules against that? I don't know. So, um, but there is a sign-up sheet in the foyer uh, there. So if you want to ride or eat, ride and eat, please uh, sign up there uh, for us so we can make sure we have enough food for everybody. Um, and you can uh, find the rest of the information on that. It's also uh, in the bulletin uh, as well. Uh, probably the last announcement uh, that I have is uh, the, the graphic for youth camp is not correct in the bulletin. Um, we are having uh, one more meeting this coming Wednesday night. Uh, we are severely behind schedule with getting money in and all that kind of stuff. Our original camp date was canceled, and so I had to shift and, and all those things uh, with that. And so we are uh, severely behind in that, but they have given us grace. And so this coming Wednesday night will, will be our last uh, meeting uh, to get everybody uh, through that and then um, so I can get the deposits off. They gave us one more week, and uh, so that all needs to be in um, by next Sunday. So uh, we will have one more meeting this coming Wednesday night with all the information for camp and, and uh, some of the information in paper to, to explain all that. And then we will have one, one more meeting two weeks before when all the, the final uh, money is due. So if you have any questions about that, you can see me. But that meeting will be Wednesday night at 730 in the youth room. Uh, we've already, I've already had a couple meetings uh, about that. And so this will be our third and last one. So uh, if that applies to you, um, uh, make sure uh, to be here uh, Wednesday and have a parent with you. I believe that's all the announcements that I have uh, uh, we're going to recognize, uh, we've kind of done our birthdays and anniversaries the, the last Sunday of the month, and uh, if you'd want to stand up where you're at and tell if it's your birthday or anniversary, if you want to put money in the birdhouse uh, for your birthday or anniversary, that money goes to the Arkansas Baptist Children's Home, and uh, each year, two, three, four thousand dollars uh, goes up to support uh, that ministry. So any birthdays or anniversaries for the month? Birthday in it on the same day? Nearly. Six days. If I was a guy, I'd have it on the same day. So just, you know, just, just remember it. Yeah, yeah, that's easy. 52 years. Anniversary. 46. Birthday. 29. Can I get an amen? Amen. Any other birthdays or anniversaries this month? All right, let's all stand, and I will uh, dismiss us in prayer this morning. Uh, we hope you've had an awesome time of worship, man. What a great message this morning. Uh, if you ever want to rewatch our messages or share a message, it is we do have a YouTube channel, FBCVS, and uh, you can go to YouTube, and you can actually share that off of there to people, or you can rewatch it, so I invite you to do that uh, as well. Let's pray. Well, this morning, what a privilege it is to be in your house, Lord, this morning. 
Uh, I, I pray even now that you work in the minds and the hearts of us, your people, Lord. Uh, when I look at that tomato plant, I look at the roots and how you desire for us to be rooted in you, to grow, to thrive, uh, not just survive, but to thrive, uh, and to be a people uh, who would tell others about you, who would pursue you uh, with all that we are and all that we have. Uh, Lord, this morning as we go out and until we come together again, and it's your name we pray. Amen.